Before we officially start this podcast, I want to remind everyone that the IB Sports Podcast feed is available on iTunes, Spotify, and Anchor. Please be sure to subscribe to be notified of all new podcasts from the IB Network. We'd also appreciate if you would rate and review this network. Finally, you can follow IB Sports on Twitter and Instagram, or join the Facebook group that recently hit 4,000 members. The Facebook group has a premium membership that allows you to post without it being approved by an admin. You can be commissioner for a day, receive free gambling picks, and much more. Uh, also, before we go on, I want to say that this podcast is about the Amazon Prime mega hit, The Boys. There will be spoilers for both the show and the comic book. Uh, before we go further, just if you haven't fu- finished up season two, turn off now. Uh, we're not going to mark spoilers after this. Uh, and with that being said, I'd like to introduce, uh, I'm Sam Howe. And I'd like to introduce my uh, co-host for this, the Billy Butcher to my Wee Huey, <laughs> Fleming. How you doing, Keith? I don't know if you can call me Billy Butcher. I think of the two of you got the beard. Uh, <laughs> I'm definitely more of a Huey. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to, I'm a lover, not a fighter, for sure. <laughs> but we are here to talk about, in the words of Billy Butcher, the fucking diabolical season two of The Boys. The fantastic uh, season two of The Boys. This is a show that, uh, you know, I was kind of late to. I don't think I watched season one until maybe two months before season two. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I really got into it pretty much immediately. Binge the eight uh, episodes in like two days. And that was when I started texting you because you had mentioned it uh, before and then was really fired up when season two came out. And, it, and it's been great. It's, it's a different superhero show uh it, it, i sort of said the other day it kind of reminds me it's like uh the deadpool adjacent tv show you know deadpool was so different it was the first kind of marvel movie uh that was just so out there you know and you're like what the hell i guess maybe gardens of the galaxy would be the other example but uh especially with the violence and you know just the some of the gruesome images and stuff but i love it so i yeah i am it's uh based on a comic book written by Garth Ennis, uh, who is famous for having written Preacher. And he and Ennis also had a tenure run on uh, The Punisher, which pretty much defined the character. Uh, it was a mature label run, which is great. Uh, I didn't love, I love Preacher. Uh, didn't love The Boys, the comic. Uh, you had said that you thought that the show was the best on television. And initially I was kind of like, eh, I wouldn't go that far after season two. Uh, Certainly, I would put it in the conversation with of continuing shows along with, uh, which sounded crazy after season one, but it really made the leap along with, you know, Better Call Saul is ending, but Succession, The Boys, Fargo. I mean, it's, it's a good show. Um, and just to clarify, when I say the best show on television, RC's got onto me before on his televangelist podcast about this. I mean, at the time that it airs and ends, because, you know, not all shows are kind of running simultaneously. Oh, yeah. I believe different shows kind of take that mantle and, you know, have that until another show comes along. Like Secession last summer, I felt like really did that. It was the first time that I felt it was like the best show on TV uh, when it was over. And Better Call Saul was obviously great. It definitely deserves that title. But, you know, we really haven't had that much this year when it comes to television and this just really delivered. And I mean, how big is it for Amazon, who has kind of really struggled to find its 
you know, series that is going to compete, you know, kind of make it more of a Netflix type model with all their successful TV shows. And this is definitely it. It's their probably most valuable uh, commodity when it comes to their television network. And they're already doing a spinoff. Obviously, season three has been greenlit. Uh, it's, it's really big for Amazon. The, and, and we'll get into this, but how timely. I mean, they made this last year, but it felt like, you know, especially given what's going on in the world, uh, it felt very timely. And, and let me get into what The Boys is about. Uh, it's set in a universe where superpowered individuals are recognized by here as heroes. Uh, and almost all of them work for and are owned by a super corporation called Vought International, which markets them, monetizes them. There's a whole cinematic universe. Uh, and they, it, it's basically, imagine if Marvel, the superheroes were all real. Uh, however, outside of the sort of corporatization and the corporate presentation, they're arrogant, corrupt, narcissistic sociopaths. Uh, it, the series focuses primarily on two groups. Uh, there's the Seven, which is the superhero group of Vought's uh, premier heroes, and the eponymous Boys. Uh, they are a vigilante team that's looking down to bring down Vought and the superheroes. Uh, the, the Boys are led by Billy Butcher, who's played by Carl Urban. Uh, he hates all superpowered heroes who are in the show commonly referred to as soups. And is maybe uh, the hardest person to understand on television. Oh, really? I, <laughs> and my I, wife had a really good laugh out of like, it took us like five, six episodes to figure out what the hell he was saying. And we literally had to do the trick where we turned on the closed captions just so we kind of get used to it. But he's got a very thick accent. The funny thing is he is a Kiwi. He is from New Zealand. I have a, uh, I, my, my hearing is going, I, I got my mom's hearing. And so I've already taken to watching a lot of stuff with closed captions on so that I'm not blasting. Right. Uh, you know, cause I do live in an apartment, but um, they, again, that's another one where in the comic he sound, he's supposed to sound like Michael Caine. And so they've done a great job of getting like he, Carl Urban kills it in that role. Oh yeah. Um, the uh, seven are led by Homelander, who is arguably, well, first season. I was going to say he's arguably the worst human being or worst. Well, yeah, he's a human being, even if he's a soup. <laughs> uh, arguably the, like the most evil character on the show until Stormfront, who we will get into. Um, the, uh, at the beginning, the show begins with the audience surrogate character of Huey Campbell, who's played by Jack Quaid. Uh, his girlfriend is killed by A-Train. Uh, what a is, first scene. Yeah, it's literally, and it really sets the tone is that sh they are having this very sweet moment. She has stepped a foot off the curb in New York City and A-Train runs through her. Quite literally, Huey is left holding just her arms in a scene that's taken directly from the comic book. Um, the Seven are joined by Annie January, who's played by Aaron Moriarty, who is uh, very initially young and optimistic. Uh, she has a great line where she says, you know, when did being hopeful become naive? Um, the other members, uh, she, and she was, you know, her dream has always been to join the Seven. Uh, the other members of the Seven are the disillusioned Queen Maeve, uh, drug-addicted uh, A-Train, the deep, the deep, who is insecure, 
uh, mysterious black noir. And in the second season, there is the character who, we'll get to this later, but is, is fascinating, <laughs> who is very, seems to be this anti-corporate, tell it like it is character, uh, who turns out to be a white nationalist and quite literally- Yeah, literally. Uh, Stormfront. It's 100 years uh, old. The boys are rounded out by uh, Marvin Mother's Milk, um, who is, oh, I actually, why am I blanking on who his actor is? Uh, played by uh, Laz Alonzo. Um, there is weapon specialist Frenchie, played by Tomara Capone. Uh, and superpowered test subject Kimi, Kimiko, played by Karen Fukuhara. Uh, in the first season, uh, the bo- Seven is seen by uh, VOD executive Madeline Stilwell, who is played by uh, the incomparable Elizabeth Shue. Yep, she looks great. Uh, yeah, uh, and later, the, 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 replacing her in the second season is Stan Edgar, who, if you're going to have a great show, apparently, you got to get Giancarlo Esposito. That's the... <laughs> um, the uh, the first season is sort of about the coming together of the boys and the conflict that they have with the seven uh, and Huey sort of growing and uh, the butcher is his motivation is that he thinks that Homelander uh, has raped and murdered uh, his his ex-wife. I think he uh, think, also thinks kidnapped her, right? Like, is yeah, well, I, 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 I mean, believe she's alive, just you know, doesn't know where she is, or at least he says that at one point. And I and sort of the idea is is that she's dead, but he's I think he's sort of the 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 hint that in the first season is is that he is uh, in denial about it. It turns out that that's the big shock is that not only is she alive, but she has given birth to the first uh naturally born soup in the world her son ryan um played by uh big little lies twins which is uh something my wife pointed out in two seconds yeah he's really good he was great they were great and uh big little lies too as like first graders so um huey and annie not sort of realizing who they were well huey knows who she is and they enter a relationship and huey sort of struggles between exploiting his relationship with her to get to, to help butcher and further his crusade uh, to get justice for his girlfriend and the and his genuine romantic feelings for her uh the first season ends butcher straps 30 pounds of c4 to himself and to and lures because it still wells and homelander have this weird quasi incestuous relationship and they he made the mistake to think that Homelander would care about anyone. Well, she Homelander's whole thing is that he, he you can't hurt him physically, but he's so insecure and desperate to be loved, and so you know, it's such a you know, and and uh, Madeline Stillwell lies to him, and which infuriates him, and so he kills Stillwell because uh, he finds out that he has a son, thinking that the son will love him unconditionally. Um, it gets blamed on Butcher. And so the second season starts with the boys on the run. Uh, eventually, uh, Butcher is trying to find uh, Becca after he finds out that she's alive. And then eventually uh, they have killed in the first season a suit named Translucent. 
in a very comic book moment. Huey I was like, kills him too, which is what's most crazy. Yeah, about that's it. like Huey's first moment is they jam. Translucent is unable to be hurt when he's invisible, uh, but they jam C4 up his ass and blow him up. Which shows is the brilliance of Frenchie because you know, he's always the one that seems to know how to kill these things. Mm-hmm. But that was very much a comic book moment. And we'll get into why I don't love the comic book more. But um, so Translucent is replaced by the more media savvy Stormfront. Um, Homelander is sort of losing it a little bit. And that's sort of one of the threads. We'll get to that about season three. As he is being usurped, as Stormfront has come in and, you know, is sort of with our media savvy uh, becoming more popular than he is. Eventually, they begin a romantic relationship where she reveals she is the wife of Frederick Vaught and a former Nazi. Well, still a Nazi, but a member of the Nazi party. Who, and it causes one of the uh, best sex scenes maybe in the history of television. Yeah, that sex scene is set to... That's the other thing. Boys is great soundtrack. Oh, soundtrack's right. A lot of Billy Joel. <laughs> a lot of Billy Joel, Dream On by... Uh, um, uh, and there is, it ends up, Stormfront has a plan to distribute uh, Compound V, which is what they use to create the soups. Uh, uh, Homelander, in order to please Stillwell, had the idea to create super terrorists, super villains. And Stormfront wants to exploit that and create billion, millions of soups to create a superhero army that will create a white supremacist hegemony. Uh, spoiler alert, thankfully that doesn't happen. Uh, Stormfront gets killed at, uh, potentially, actually I wanna get into that too, because she is taken off the map. Uh, her Nazi past is revealed and it come out that in early, uh, late in season two, that she has previously been a hero who murdered uh, black people and non-white people indiscriminately. Um, the one of the big changes I thought I, I season one to season two sort of form a giant uh, two season arc, um, which I thought was actually interesting in terms of I will be interested to see how it goes because really season one and season two tell a prequel story to get us to season three. Um, season three is going to have a lot more with the comics. They're going to be in the Flatiron Building. They're going to have CIA sanction, all these important things. But they are you know, that, that it, it is the story of them coming together. Um, and I thought that, you know, a lot of, one of the problems I didn't love about season one was that there was this sort of message of, uh, you're a sucker, you know, don't believe in anything. Uh, you know, when you believe in stuff, you're, you know, the, the Stormfront is sort of, I'm not sorry, uh, Starlight is naive for believing in things. And I thought that, you know that that her you know when she talks about when did it become naive to be to you know be optimistic and i thought that was sort of the message and that you you know not trusting people and being a bastard is how you get things done and that really wasn't the case in the second season is that you see a lot of you know doing the right thing is how they they come together and win you know Maeve does the right thing and and you have to compromise, obviously, but overall. And being more accepting because, you know, and the first one, all soups are bad. And if you look at it, honestly, soups have kind of saved their ass, uh, you know, and the second one, whether, it, you know, it'd be Maeve or uh, Frenchie's girlfriend, obviously Ryan. I mean, it, it just, you know, they would have never let them in the group. And even Billy is, you know, sacrificing himself, uh, you know, for him, which was pretty cool. 
And I like that a lot more than that's one of the things in the comic is that Billy keeps that uh, anti-suit bias. I mean, ultimately Billy Butcher in the comic is the villain. Um, This he kills spoiler for the comic, but he kills everyone, but Huey. uh, And he tries to create a weapon that will kill everyone who's been exposed to compound V, which in the comics, the boys are exposed to compound V. I, they've, held up against that um i'll be interested to see if they go into that in season three we'll get into that later um what did you think of the the initial season release all at once the second season released the first three episodes ending with the reveal that stormfront is a racist um keith you're you're interesting in this and i i kind of wanted to pick your brain because i know people were surprised that stormfront was a racist um I read the comics. Obviously, I knew that that the character in, in the comics is a male. Uh, in the show, the female, she's obviously, you know, turns out to be a Nazi. Uh, not shocked also because of the website Stormfront, but were you surprised that she was a Nazi? Was that a, a shocking reveal to you? Yeah, I mean, it's so easy to, you know, do a storyline like, like that too and, and make it kind of you know, just a typical almost heel of wrestling, you know, to, to be lazy where it's like, of course, everybody hates a Nazi. I, I loved what she said uh, in the last episode where she goes, you know, people like what I say, they just don't like Nazis, you know? And it's like, that's very true. And it could have been easy to use that, you know, to make her a villain, but they made it deeper than that. And it made it make sense because of the story of obviously why she disappeared uh, what happened in her past, why she was, you know, she was originally on the seven, why she's not anymore, uh, and had to come back, you know, as a whole new uh, persona, if you will. And uh, I just thought it was, it was a little surprising, but it was done very well. And it was, yeah, I mean, the, my friend Kendall was not surprised by it because of the website, but I thought that it was one of those where if you haven't read the comic, you know, once you, once you see it, it's, oh, um what did you think of the release model though because i people were pissed about it being released weekly i ultimately think that which is weird i mean i think it was just because the first season was and people are starved for content but like people don't complain when the mandalorian is released weekly for example but i thought that it was great i thought i actually hope that they do it the same way next year because i enjoyed it i i thought that it it, I enjoyed it more and I thought that it actually, you know, did a good job of keeping me, I watched more in between, you know, it's interesting and, and uh, it, it was interesting to me that they, I, I felt like I got more out of it being weekly. I was one of the people at first that was very upset because I, I'm the kind of person that if I can binge something, I'm going to like, I, like, if, especially if I'm really into a show, I, I like to go right through it. One of my favorite things about Netflix, uh, like Umbrella Academy was a show that I've really enjoyed when the second season came out, I think in a day and a half, I watched the entire season, but after the first three episodes came out and then I realized it was going to be a week and I bitched and moaned and then I watched that episode and then I think it was around episode five or six. I just realized that it it makes such a big difference when shows are weekly because you have so much time to think about what's going on. And when you, you know, watch episodes back to back, obviously it's natural to remember whatever show you, you know, or episodes you finished on to where if you're spending an entire week, you know, I'm going to read articles, you know, on the internet with recaps, I'm going to go to Reddit and read theories. 
And then it really honestly got me thinking about how it can even change the perception uh, that you have on a show. Because I, I think to Lost, which is one of my favorite shows of all time, I didn't watch it live. Mm-hmm. I watched it and binged it. And I, I mean, I flew through it. Uh, and so I actually liked the ending a lot. And I thought the last season was really good. But I understand now, like from all the articles that I read after the fact, why it pissed off people because they had all that time from week to week and year to year to think about all these theories and things that, you know, like they expected to be answered to where myself, because I watched it in like two months, I didn't have that time to think of it. So I was just watching the show, you know, as is and and just not having all these theories and, you know, thinking and spending hours, you know, wondering what's going to happen with this and what does this mean? And I really do think that, you know, played a different role in the way that I, you know, engulge the show. Now, the one thing that does worry me a little bit about it, and I mean, their ratings are, are way up, so I don't think it's a problem, but it has been proven that if somebody usually can get through the first four episodes, four or five episodes of a show, they will end up, you know, continuing to watch it. I don't think very many people do it, but I do know some, some of my wife's friends that will just start a show out with the, you know, the, the season that's new. Uh, and I wonder if by doing the three episodes, if they weren't, you know, hooked in after the first three, did they stay and watch it? Does it, you know, make it less likely somebody's going to watch the entire season, but, uh, you know, personally, by the end of it, I loved it. I was so excited for the last two episodes. I thought the season ended on a great note. And honestly, I would have enjoyed it less having watched it in two, three days right when it was released. And instead, by going over what, about a five, six week period, it gave me something to think about, to read about, you know, et cetera. And like what you said, watch previous episodes. I thought one of the things that I liked about the release, there are two things I like about it. First of all, I like that it's only eight episodes. Um, the one of the my favorite TV critics is a guy named Alan Sepinwall, who writes mm-hmm. for Rolling Stone, who talked about the Marvel series where they're like they have eight episodes of story, right. but thirteen episodes. Um, and I think that it benefits the you know I I thought that the the episode the one criticism like I I love this season. I, my one criticism was the episode where Billy goes and talks to Becca you sort of know because it's the fourth episode that she's not going to come with him. um but again I'm not you know I'm picking nits at that point but I thought that it was great um I thought I liked that model I liked the weekly release model um I was and I don't know if I said this at the jump I was not you know it's interesting Mandalorian also was eight episodes right so it's like maybe that is sort of the you know, perfect amount of episodes for stories in, in this genre. I think that if you, that the best idea, and, and this is as a guy who likes to write and wants to be a screenwriter, I say this, if you, you should, I trust creators. Um, and I think that, you know, I would rather them have too much story to pack in than too little. Um, I think that in general, you know, there's a business con- consideration to this that that's the always the the consideration that you have when you're doing television and movies is that it's art but it's also commerce right so like the one i always think of is breaking bad where they wanted two full seasons and vince Gilligan was like no no no, we're good with one so they split the last one up and i there are some things where i felt like 
Well, that's not a Breaking Bad podcast. Let me not get into that. <laughs> but my, uh, but yeah, I, I enjoyed that it was eight episodes. I thought that I was not hugely excited about the show, honestly. Like, I didn't have super high expectations initially because I didn't love the comic. Uh, the guy who was doing it, Eric Kripke, was best known for Supernatural, which is a show that I never really watched. And I, you know, I'm kind of a snob, just full full disclosure. Um, but he's like uh, exceeded all of my expectations. As I said, um, I makes me want to go watch like some of the 15 seasons of Supernatural. But I'm uh, he's seems like a cool guy. Um, I don't know. One of my favorite quotes from him was uh, Jensen Ackles, who is on uh, Supernatural, is going to play Soldier Boy next season. And he said, like, Eric Kripke was like, I had a dream as a child, and that dream was to give uh, Jensen Ackles continued employment, <laughs> which I was a fucking funny line. Um, but I'm, uh, I'm, I'm curious, what were some of your favorite scene, moments, scenes from season two? Um, I, I love the, uh, the sort of girl power montage, both making fun of it when they were you know, doing the movies uh, or shooting, filming the movies. And of course you have the obligatory and like Marvel and, you know, basically comic book movies now where the women, you know, band together. And then also how in the last episode, they brought that back that, you know, the only way, uh, you know, for them to, to basically even be able to keep up with Stormfront was to, you know, have a three-on-one battle. And, you know, with the, the again, the music played a big part of that. I thought, you know, that was fantastic. Uh, and it needs to be said, this show is very dark, okay? Like both in the, um, you know, some of the humor and then also with obviously the deaths. I mean, we talked about the very first, uh, you know, scene in the in the show is a woman, you know, Huey's girlfriend literally exploding because a man ran through her and uh, he's just holding her hands. But don't think I'm a bad person, but I just thought it was hilarious when Homelander threw his son off the roof, trying to get him to fly. And then when the mom comes out, he's like, he's fine. He's fine. Sorry about that. I think he just said, he's like, it's only 20 feet. Like, <laughs> um, I, the, the, yeah, no, I wanted to touch on the girl power scene because the, they, it's not a subtle show. Um, I'm like, and which is fine. Cause some of the things they talk about really shouldn't be subtle. Uh, I was perfectly, but the girl power scene where they made fun of Endgame, I thought was really funny. But I thought then when they were like unironically like this fuck yeah moment with the Peaches song, um, where they're beating, like, listen, I'm a simple man. I'm Jewish. I'm not going to like, you want to show me three badass women beating the shit out of a Nazi? Who's like, sorry, guys. Like, I'm just going to like it. Like, that's. I'm a very simple It's a man. great scene. It really is. Like, I've watched it twice, and both times, like, I stood up during it. I mean, it's like that kind of a scene where it just, like, it is the, the, the last 30 minutes of the final episode are incredible. Um, the, yeah, and as for home, like, that whole thing with, like, Homelander, I thought it was, it's really interesting because one thing with Homelander that I thought was is that, like, he kind of does care about his son. Like the, there were some moments where in his own, like, and it's one of, like, he's supposed to be this sort of, uh, he surpassed Stormfront, obviously, uh, who is a Nazi, as this awful character, but he's, 
he seems to care about his son. Like they're like the moment at the superhero restaurant where he like he doesn't scold Ryan for being weak. He understands and empathizes with him and like is actually genuinely like a, a sympathetic figure in that moment where he's like, yeah, like I felt the same way, you know, when I was around people for the first time. And takes him away to, to teach him, you know, like I'm going to yeah. teach you how to, you know, do this. Um, um, what were, one of my favorite scenes actually uh, is the one, like is when Billy, uh, the, and speaking of dark, where Billy stands up after uh, Becca has been killed and with the crowbar and you think that he's going to kill Ryan. And I was like, Ooh, like, are we, are we actually doing this? Like, and he doesn't. Um, I thought that the, you know, him being ultimately doing the right thing. I think that some of it is like, it's actually not as dark as the comic. Uh, and in terms, and I think that's okay. I think that the comic was written also much more i started in the tail end and in the second bush administration and was much more about the military industrial complex uh but or did you have other favorite scenes oh yeah the uh starlight rescue uh everything about it the fact that you know huey is the one who uh convinces lamplighter that like look you, you said you you want to be a hero again uh here's your chance you know obviously because he loves Starlight, and then you know they get in there. Lighter <laughs> sets himself uh, on fire. Poor Huey has to cut his hand off because he realizes he needs he needs his finger to get out of the building. Just knowing Huey is just hilarious. The the fight scene between uh, you know Starlight and uh, the uh, what is it, Black Noir. And, uh, you know, Maeve comes in the first time she's, you know, saves his ass and just everything about that scene was, uh, you know, really exciting. It, it's funny when you talk about the, cause the, like the, the comedy on that show is very much like it is dark humor. Right. Um, mostly like there is some, like, uh, some of the, the humor is lighter. There's the part where like the fact that black noir's name is black noir. Right. Um, with, and also, so one of the like the lines in the finale. The peanut allergy was pretty funny too. Like this guy's <laughs> unstoppable, but you know the story behind that, don't you? No. Uh, they, they were at a party, and the guy who plays Black Noir has a tree nut allergy, like, very serious tree nut allergy. And they were, and somebody was like, "Would said to Eric Kripke, like, oh, wouldn't it be really funny? I think it was Carl Urban was like, wouldn't it be really funny if Black Noir, like, that was his, like, he was really tough, but that was what hurt him." <laughs> And Kripke went with it. Um, yeah, I, I, poor Huey at this point, like he probably like the, the PTSD that he has to be dealing with. <laughs> well, cause another one of my favorite scenes was obviously the chase scene culminating with, you know, a boat being driven through a well. Uh, you know, that's the point where Huey's like, I'm not coming out. You know what I mean? I'm done. I'm, I'm good. And, uh, and I mean, again, that was another like touching scene when, uh, you know, they convince them to, to keep going and, you know, they're not going to leave without them. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and just anything with the deep just is, you know, so hilarious uh, in general. And then the final thing with that, and it's kind of the overall one of my favorite parts about this show is that in the messed up world we live in in 2020, where celebrity and social media and everything is 
such importance. They not only obviously make that a focal point in season one, showing that these people are celebrities, you know, now are they superheroes, they're in movies, they have huge social media presence. Uh, but then to see somebody like the deep have his, you know, rehabilitation this year and sort of make fun of how easy it is to do that, you know, to sort of rehabilitate your image without really doing anything, you know, internally or changing. And that is proven at the end when he doesn't get what he wants. And, you know, he's like, you know, Fresca sucks and I'm with a girl that won't give oh, his bad BJs. And, you know, he's still a terrible, terrible human being. The, you know, it, it's interesting. Um, my other, it's funny you mentioned best shows and we talked about best shows on television earlier and also binging and I can't believe that I didn't mention Bojack Horseman which is I don't know if you watched that or I have not watched. watched it yet um I'll talk to you about that more off air but they did a really funny thing about sort of the whole like they call it the like there's an award called the forgivies and I think that you know you and I are both wrestling fans and there'd been a lot of uh there's a movement that sort of the me too of wrestling like that was the first season was that uh the deeps character forces starlight to perform oral sex on him and she reveals it and he's sent to sandusky ohio where he sort of has a mental breakdown um i thought that it was and they did the the riff on that is that he eventually joins this uh group that's supposed to be a thinly veiled scientology uh group and yeah, like the first get set of instead of drinking Kool Aid, and and they're very much uh, rehabilitate him, but he's still a bad person. And and the there's a lot. It felt like a lot of a lot of these apologies that you see. I feel like negotiations with celebrities trying to negotiate to keep their influence and power, and not have to sacrifice anything, which shitty and it sucks. Um, but yeah, but I thought that, that was a great right. Yeah, I mean, there's the commentary where, like, uh, the head of the church of the collective, which is uh, the Scientology XB, says, like, oh, like, the Deep's Q score is up, which is, like, Q rating is a real thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, I think that at one point, like, Ellen's Q score at one point was, like, I think you can top out at 100. But, like, that's, like, your public score, like, how people view you. And so his, like, it was a very real commentary. Um... I also, one thing, and it's like a very small scene, I criticize the episode, but I love the time when Butcher and Becca are together in the back of the car after like they've finally gotten to be back together and and they're smoking a cigarette together. And it's so, like the acting there is so well done. Um, There's the part where they're smoking and she's she's holding the cigarette but putting it in Butcher's mouth and... I, I thought that they were like, just felt like a very real couple, uh, which I thought it's just a beautiful scene and a beautiful moment. Um, I also wanted to talk about sort of the character evolution. Cause I thought that that's one of the best things about a show is when characters grow and change. And it's one of the real great challenges I think in television, because whenever you're successful and it's movies too, there's this, the audience is like, we want something that we haven't seen before and it's completely new, but it's exactly like what we liked in the beginning. And I thought the boys did, and the best thing the sequel can do, one of my favorite examples of a sequel is the Mad Max series. Speaking of people who've been rehabilitated um, in Mel Gibson, uh, is that each Mad Max movie sort of grows the themes and, and 
gets bigger in terms of, you know, the first one, society's falling apart. Um, the Road Warrior, it's sort of falling apart. Uh, third one, uh, Thunderdome, like they're starting to build their own society. And, and then the fourth one, they've, they've built their own societies and have their own myths. So I, I but I, I really like that in the boys, you know, you see uh, Billy who is just driven by anger and really sort of willing to do whatever it takes driven solely by getting back his wife and only you know really wants to kill homelander and i think that he he grows i mean he really you know he doesn't kill he 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 could have given up the son to get becca back and he realizes that he's trying to grow as a person i thought that was you know what about you what did you think with billy and his evolution uh, his performance has been, you know, fantastic because, he, and I think he's supposed to be this kind of character, but you just kind of flip flop uh, over and over again from kind of hating the guy uh, to liking him and, you know, thinking, okay, he is a good guy, you know, deep down to, wow, he's really evil. I mean, just in the span of the last episode, he basically, you know, is going to screw Becca and give away her son, who she has made it very clear you know, she's not leaving, like he's part of her life. And if he wants to be with her, then, you know, Ryan's going to have to be a part of that. And, but then you see that, you know, he has the heart or the moment where he realizes he can't go through with it. And then what was even more to me respectful for it was he told her that, you know, in a scene where she's, you know, just trying to leave. And he's like, I can't, you know, go with you because, you know, I was going to sell you out and who's to say I won't do it again. Uh, and then again, just with the way that, you know, she makes him promise, uh, you know, to, to look after Ryan and, and, you know, he does, he stands in front of Stormfront, which, uh, you know, though it's what I was telling my wife, it's just like, what a badass character when you're in a war of superheroes, you have no powers whatsoever. And this was like the third or fourth time. He basically just nuts up, you know, to a superhero, like bring it. I mean, you gotta be a little crazy obviously to do it, but also, uh, it's just, a, you know, it's really cool. You know, both Maeve and Frenchie are also people that I've really enjoyed the evolution of their characters because, you know, Frenchie seemed like this kind of weird French dude uh, in season one. Um, but then when he, you know, gets the love interest, he then, you know, kind of changes, uh, you know, as Kamiko uh, becomes a part of their life and then you hear this backstory you know that you find out in season two that you know he holds all this guilt and uh you know obviously for why he holds his hatred to lamplighter and uh then you know to, to sort of see his anger uh when he can't communicate with Kamiko and and you know how at first he gets frustrated with it and you know both of them have obviously suffered a lot of loss and, and heartache and have a hard time trusting that people are going to be there uh and then to see them work it out and you know just the enjoyment they get together and then with Maeve the big thing is just that I think like you know most politicians or at least we would hope for with the superheroes I would think most of them go in for it for the right reason and then they get corrupted, you know, by the system and they see that this is dirty and this is not what I thought it is. I'm, I'm not really helping people. It, it's, it's all, you know, a game. It's all a business. It's all, you know, to make the rich get richer and for power. Uh, and she comes complacent with it. And you see that, you know, during season one, 
Uh, and then in season two, even though she gets outed, you know, by Homelander, she still uh, becomes, you know, honest with her lover and starts basically hatching a plan that she's going to revolt against. And it, it needs to be reminded that, you know, she left a plane, uh, you know, I don't think she had much choice, but she still left a plane without taking one survivor, uh, you know, with Homefront in season one. And then by the end of season two, you know, she, she saves them honestly twice. She saves basically the entire crew, if you think about it, because she shows up just in the nick of time for the, the fight with Stormfront. And then obviously she saves Billy and Ryan uh, when Homelander is about to kill Billy. So uh, I think their arcs have both been, you know, really neat. And there's a lot of characters that you can say on this show. There has been a lot of growth. And as you said, that's a huge part to making you care about a show because you care about the characters. And and when I, the, the big, one of the biggest differences that I, and I appreciate this, on the show is so butcher is not a monster in the show yeah he might be uh, he is like he's a sociopath in the comics he's a monster um honestly frenchie is more of a joke in the comics like and i appreciated like and, and again speaking of jokes in the comics the the they do kill lamplighter because he does kill mallory's grandchildren mallory's a man in the comics um the however uh, you, you can kill soups once and they basically come back as zombies. So Lamplighter is in the basement of Seven Tower and they have to clean him up because he just shits himself. Like that's sort of, like I said, the comic book is a lot more juvenile humor. Like I love Garth Ennis when he does serious stuff. I'm not there for juvenile humor. Just me. I mean, there are people who enjoy it. I'm not. Um, but uh so yeah, I appreciated that with Frenchie. I also, the Maeve storyline actually is kind of close to the comic book. Uh, in the comic book on 9-11, uh, it's a, that's one in one of the planes was, was that the president on 9-11 is a guy named Dakota Bob, who I think the Secretary of Defense was supposed to be this season. Um, and he scrambles jets and they shot down two of the planes. Uh, his VP, Vic Newman, hits him with a fire extinguisher and has the seven go up and the seven ends up causing the plane to crash into the Brooklyn bridge. Um, and Maeve is very much like just PTSD. And, and I thought it was interesting that Maeve, like you said, is sort of just uh, damaged by that and, and sort of being with Elena is what brings her back to doing the right thing. Um, I do, it's hard to talk about this show without talking about the politics of it and, and um, I actually thought that the show, you know, both of us, our politics sort of runs to the left side of the street. Um, I thought that they did a really good job dealing with racism and the politics of corporatism. Um, the, you know, I, I'm, I, as I said a while ago, I'm Jewish and I'm somebody who's spent a lot of time researching and studying far right, you know, fascist groups. And Noah Berlatsky wrote a great article for Polygon that I sent you about Stormfront. And I thought that Stormfront was the best portrayal of modern neo-fascist, neo-Nazi political ideologies that I've seen. Less anti-Semitism, but I think that was just because there wasn't a, you know, Jewish character. Um, but really wish it wasn't this timely, but... Uh, 
the I thought that the you know sort of her role where she talks about um you know I, I she says to Homelander at one point she's like I you need 150 million people to love you I need five million people to be pissed off like you have fans I have soldiers and you said this quote but I lo- I thought it was so like perfect for the time that we live in and so accurate where she says people love what I have to say they believe in it it's like the word Nazi, that's all. And, and I thought that, that was a lot of like the scary thing about where we are with this, you know, in the world where there are a lot of people who like her rhetoric was pretty, you know, like we've all heard that. And it, but, you know, you just got to take it a little step further and then you're in a Nazi land. Um, the other thing that I thought was interesting, and I just picked it up, I rewatched the finale today before we did this. Um, was sort of the tacit corporate endorsement of her where, you know, Edgar says like, cause Edgar is played by John Carlos Vizito, who is not white. And he says, he's like, I don't like her, but I need her. Like I can't afford to piss her off. Uh, and I thought that was sort of a very, you know, large commentary and sort of her like subtle microaggressions against a train where she's like, she talks about the church of the collective and she like basically says like before they let it like she very you know what she's saying and it's that kind of infuriating far right yeah that we see where it's like you know what they're talking about where she she talks to a train where she's like yeah they let in people you know lesser people and you know that she's talking about black people but like well he calls her out on her and she's like whatever are you talking about yeah like what are you you're being insane and i thought you know you got into the whole thing with the deep and his rehabilitation which was, I mean, yeah, it was, it was, it was just, and the whole church of the collective thing. Um, it, it was, it was very hard. I thought that it was interesting, like that opening scene in episode seven with, uh, did you watch community? Mm-hmm. The kid fat Neil, do you remember him? Mm-hmm. That's who shoots the convenience store clerk. Oh, wow. No, I did not, I did not pick up on that. So the scene that we're talking about is it starts out and he's listening to Stormfront and watching this 24-hour news channel that's really fear-mongering about super terrorists and super-powered immigrants. And, you know, he, he and he's listening to Stormfront's comments and she talks about seeing the light in the eyes of these terrorists. And he goes to this convenience store every day and it's his daily routine. And at the end of it, you know, he, he's there and a car drives by and he sees this light reflected in the convenience store owner's eyes. And at the end of the scene, he shows up with a pistol and, you know, he's like, are you a super terrorist? And Doing his patriotic duty in quotations. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, I, that's like the scene with Ryan where they're talking, uh, Homelander's son, where Stormfront is there and they're trying to get him to use his powers. And she talks about, you know, enemies and she talks about white genocide, which is this conspiracy theory that believes that uh, Jewish leaders in government uh, are importing, uh, bringing in mass immigration to commit genocide against white people. And it's like, it's fucking insane, but like you hear some variation on that using different dog whistles to on like Fox News. And I'm sure that that'll piss some people off. Like, sorry, it's the truth. Like the whole George Soros being behind the caravan. Like we all remember that. And like, I was like, I can't believe that there's a show that's using the term white genocide, like, but 
you know, the, the whole thing is like her is this sort of like anti establishment media darling. It was just like, I can't fucking believe this. Like it was great. It was brilliant. What was also cool was just you got into it right there at the end is how they use the internet with memes and videos, which has become a very popular way to spread ideas that are extreme on the internet. You know, how many people will tell you they watch a three minute YouTube video uh, and all of a sudden they're telling you like this crazy conspiracy thing. Uh, and then I also just love the PSA that started the final episode that was just so creepy uh, about the, you know, the, the illegal or super terrorist. Uh, and, you know, that the, the teacher should go get a gun, which was also, you know, a play on words with, you know, training videos for kids who have to hide under their desk because of school shootings. I mean, it just it does a very effective job, whether it be about the, you know, the immigrants, obviously, or the, uh, you know, the fact of having hearings and, uh, you know, just, it just is a very political show and it's subtle, but I think that it does it in a way that it's both uh, powerful and effective, but it doesn't sort of rule the show. It, it's, it's almost in the background and not in the forefront, even though it is such a big part of it. So who are your MVPs of season two? Well, I mean, I think everybody's going to say the same you know, thing. The, the best two performances on the show are obviously Billy and Homelander. I, I thought Homelander was just remarkable this season. Uh, you know, the first season, I didn't really know how to take his performance because we didn't really know that much about the character, uh, just that he was fucked up. Uh, this season, you find out that he was a sweet boy, you know, and he was raised by doctors and he's never been loved or held or, and that, you know, obviously over time, he, he turned into a monster. Uh, and then you look at his son, who obviously has his DNA, and how he's this sweet boy, uh, but has been raised, you know, obviously by a mother. And at the end, he does things right. And I just thought that Homelander's portrayal of that has been very good, that he's somebody that both looks so strong, uh, obviously would be the most powerful superhero in the world, but also the real moments of weakness, like in the moments that, you know, May threatens that I'll show the video and no one will ever fucking love you again. And I mean, you could see the fear in his eyes because that's, that's all he wants. You know, he just wants to be loved and adored. Uh, and then, you know, Billy just... I don't remember an actor in a long time, or maybe the exception of Jim Halpert, that can give so much uh, and just a smirk or, you know, or a look. And he doesn't have to say a word. And it's just, there's so much meaning in, in, in so many of his faces. So in my opinion, they would be the two MVPs. But if we're going to say like six man or, you know, the performances, there's a ton of them on there that are great. Uh, again, I'm going to start with Frenchie and Maeve, who I thought were both, uh, fantastic this year. I thought Huey was really good, uh, especially in the scene where you find out that, you know, why him and Billy kind of have this connection or relationship is because he had a baby brother who was exactly like Huey. Uh, and, and, you know, that's why they kind of have this bond. And, you know, he has the ability to get to Billy like, you know, no other. Uh, and even Starlight, who really, I thought, played a very good performance where, you know, she was this very perky personality in season one, and then she was beat down by the end of it. And then in season two, she was out for vengeance, you know, and then when she kind of gets it, she's hopeful again, you know, and she's optimistic and she's, she's not going to live that way. She makes this decision. I thought the performance was, was very good as it went up and down. What about you? Who was your MVP? 
Um, the I did want to just one thing because piggyback off of this because my first one was Butcher, and one of the things I like about the show is sort of they work a lot with the two sides of the coin and mirrors. So Billy is sort of the mirror of Homelander. Uh, Huey's the mirror of Starlight. Um, you know this and and the the ideas of these characters. Uh, I think Billy, one of the interesting ideas of him is sort of the deconstruction of the Punisher type, the archetype of the vigilante who is getting revenge and how that's sort of an empty, horrible life. Um, I agree with you. I think that Carl Urban is, you know, funny and terrifying and like he can get you to go, fuck yeah. And, and I've never seen one person who can use two words. He uses the words diabolical and the word cunt. Yeah. And, they are, depending on the intonation, he can use them at eight different ways. It's like um, when Logan Roy says fuck. I can't hear it enough. He could say it every episode 50 times an episode, and it's just the greatest thing every time. Fuck off. Yeah. yeah I, the, the other one was Ayakash's Stormfront, which mm-hmm. is, uh, was a character who, you know, I, I thought that, the it's very easy and and i thought that some of it was the writing but i thought that she did a good job of the idea you know one of my favorite quotes is the villain is the hero of their own story and she doesn't believe like she very much believes in the nazi party line and is very savvy about it and i think that it's very easy to see the, you know, I thought that she was a character that i was just fascinated by and every time she was on the screen you know, she's very manipulative you know, that was one of the, she gets Homelander on her side because all Homelander wants is to be loved. And she, you know, I think that first she comes in and she does all the media savvy stuff and tries to bowl him over and, you know, gets him sort of off balance. And I think that get, that's why he's susceptible to her is that she, he realizes that he can't just run through her the way that he does everyone else. Uh, but I thought that, you know, sort of her corruption of Homelander more so, you know, whatever you want to say about Homelander, and he was pretty awful in the first season, I don't think that he was a, you know, he's a bigot, like there are comments where he, you know, he makes a comment about, um, you know, how he's so ubiquitous that, uh, I can't remember what, like he uses some pejorative for, like some racial slur for Arab people and says that if they saw him, they would say in perfect American Homelander. So he's, mm-hmm. You know, but I don't think that he was somebody who would have committed genocide in the name of the white race. And Stormfront gets him there. Right. Uh, but I thought that she was really the straw that stirred the drink in season two. Um, but yes, yeah, so those are my MVPs. Um, they are coming back for season three. Uh, the other thing, actually, I did want to say this. So they filmed this last year. Uh, this was done. This was in the can. They finished it by the end of 2019. It, did it feel like I couldn't believe like it's unfortunate the real world like it would have been really nice if this hadn't been so timely but with all of the protests this summer and like police brutality like it it, it felt really timely and uh and you know they're getting ready to shoot 2000 uh the third season apparently they're they're writing the final episode right now they've, they've written the first seven episodes they're literally re- uh, writing the season finale for uh season three and they hope to start shooting in january 
they believe, at least this is what the creator said, that uh, if they are able to start shooting in January and they don't have any big setbacks, he thinks that they can get it out uh, before the end of 2021. I thought it was interesting that he said that they considered uh, using coronavirus in this uh, season, but thought it was too much. Uh, and, you know, obviously he said that they enjoy, you know, talking about what's going on in the world, but they thought that that was too much and it would be too much of a distraction from season three. So they ended up scrapping that. Uh, and the other really interesting tidbit I heard from that interview is the fact that the final scene of season two is Homelander literally standing on the highest building in the city, masturbating, you know, on everyone because he is the greatest being uh, in the world in his belief. And that was actually shot for episode two of season one. And it was one of the few things that Amazon would not allow them to put in season one. They said, no way. Well, then after Homelander has the sort of uh, press conference where he has to eat a lot of crow and you see him sort of breaking down mentally by the end of it, they had an original different scene for right after that with him and the execs made a note saying that they weren't crazy about this. Do you have a different direction you could go? And the creator goes, oh yeah, I have a different direction I can go that we've already shot. They didn't realize where it was going. He put it in. They let him, you know, go through with it. But he said that it was immediately what he thought of when they made the note. Uh, and it's, it's pretty cool that something was shot for the second episode ends up ending uh, you know, season two. And I just thought it was, it was awesome. It, it reminded me so much of the secession scene where uh, the youngest Roy is, you know, masturbating over New York as he just gets brought in as high level executive, almost marking his territory. And in the same sense, that's kind of what Homelander's doing. So there is one character that we haven't talked about before I get to the hopes and predictions for season three. And that's Victoria Newman, who is, in the comics, she is Vic Newman, who is this brain-dead George W. Bush, like, dumber. He's like, the George vice president, right? Yeah, he's the okay. vice president. And in this one, she's more of a uh, AOC type of sort of leftist. Definitely type. AOC. Like, oh, there, yeah. there is no way that that was, you know what I mean, not on purpose. And she's sort of a wild card because early on in the season, it looks like Vought's... Uh, Bots, uh, and this is something that I noticed now actually Eric he confirmed, but early on in the season, Susan Rayner, who's the, the uh, deputy director of the CIA, her head is blown up. And uh, I can't remember if it's Frenchie or Huey or Mother's Milk who says they're in a van driving, like, who the fuck do we know who could they blow immediately up? immediately go to her. To her. Uh, but she is. They told that, you right off the bat, and none of us even thought about it. The, but then there's, the, there's a scene at where they're going they're, they're having hearings on compound v and they heads start exploding and it derails the hearings and it turn and then so you don't know who it is the it's hinted at that no one knows who it is and then the and re-watching that the ruthlessness of her because she killed her own chief of staff uh just to you know i guess make it look like whatever it was but i didn't realize that on the first watch you know after i knew that it was her it's like holy cow and, yeah and, and she's been presented as this very idealistic you know maybe you know more ends justify the means privately 
but that she seemed devoted to destroying Vought, which she doesn't really, like that's this hearing derails that. Um, then at the end, there's that Church of the Collective, the Scientology group, where uh, it comes out that now that she, it, it, the, it sets up season three, there's now a department of soup affairs that, and the boys are going, there's going to be a team backed by the CIA. The boys, they're going to be able to monitor soups, which is much closer to the comic. Um, and he says, the head of the church, the collective says, you know, I can give you religion status. And, you know, uh, okay, fine. That's the, you know, that they, she says, okay. And then his head explodes and it's revealed that she blew up his head. What is the so, deal with her eyes? Why is her eyes turning gray as she, or right after she blows up his head? I think that was just to signify like, so that any, everybody got that she was a soup and that she'd blown up his head. Okay. Um, I assume that there'll be something with that, with her powers. Um, but she is sort of a wild card. You know, she, is she, she playing both sides? I mean, is, is she's got to be involved with Vault, right? With the information that we know now looking back over the season. Because why would she have not wanted the hearing to take place? I don't understand that. So, and this is where we'll get into hopes and, and let's go to hopes and theories because I actually have a theory. I think that she is playing both sides. I think that she is the same way. I think that she is sort of a flip side to Edgar. We were talking about mirror images bringing it back um so it is that she if if she brings down Vought as a like Vought's a great political opponent for her it's a great punching bag we see that in politics um they you know it's a villain you know that's what Stormfront said I don't want people to love me I want them fucking pissed All right and so Vought existing as that thing that pisses people off she can ride that and so I think that Yes, I think that she is playing both sides against the middle. I think that she wanted, you know, I think that that's why she blew up the head of uh, uh, Shockwave was to help the Church of the Collective. And I think that she wants to bring Vought down, but I think that she wants to do it in a way that will further her agenda, which will get her more power. And now poor Huey, who just wanted out of it, because as much as he loves the boys, he feels like they don't always have the best, you know, morals. And obviously he doesn't want to kill everyone. Uh, and now he's right in the middle of it. Uh, I heard today there could be a time jump in between season two and season three to where maybe she is vice president by season three rolling around, it would allow Ryan to be, you know, a teenager and potentially more stronger, potentially used by the CIA or, you know, whatever it may be at that point uh, and something that they could do. Could you see that happening? Uh, time to jump definitely because there is, so, so I could see them jumping to get to modern times because there's, you know, how much time would you say there is between season one and two? I mean, maybe a month? It's that, yeah. I mean, and if we really want to go super, no, it couldn't be more than a month because remember, um, it has to be less than that because the Rainer thing is new by, you know, Butcher is still missing from the. Oh, that's uh, right. And then so it has to be a, you know, so no, there's really almost no time jump. Uh, I think that, yeah, I think that a time jump makes sense as much to get us 
to current day. So I could see uh, season two being, or season three being set in 2021. I think it makes sense you have uh, the boys established a little bit. Um, one of the big differences in the comic is that they are all shot up with compound V. And I get why they don't. From a story perspective, having them being a much more blue collar scrapping team makes sense. I wonder if they're gonna get shot up with compound V. So what are their powers then once they do in the comics? Uh, just th basically the same as the females where they're super strong and uh, don't get hurt. Okay. Um, that's really it. Uh, but, I, and that's what I wonder is if they're going to have uh, I actually wondered that in the comics, Mother's Milk doesn't get shot up with V because he gets it through his mother. His mom works at a factory and he and his brother inherit superpowers. And I kind of wondered that because that's sort of his thing where he's fighting Vaughn because of who his, you know, because of his father. And I wondered yeah. if that was related to that, if we'll find out that he gets powers. But I'm, I'm certainly interested in that. Um, I figure that Huey is going to eventually come back to work for them with them you know or he'll be you know that i think that there is going to be that eric kripke said that that's the um that's the big story of season two is, season three i'm sorry is the is uh victoria newman and so i wonder if there's going to be a uh you sort of their mole in the seven that i mean that's what i'm assuming because i mean even uh you know we saw that in season one obviously like through Starlight, they were trying to get him to get information. Um, so also, I, I Homelander seems to be losing it. Um, you know, he 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 just seems like he's losing his sanity. He doesn't um, seem to. He is he is losing it. Like you you could, I, I think he's done a great job. You can see he is breaking down. You know, he's lost the only people that he quote unquote care about, and you think that. You know, he's technically had two quote unquote love interests. Uh, one's dead, the other's cut into a million pieces. His son, you know, left him and, you know, didn't choose him basically and, and chose honestly a stranger. Uh, he's losing his grip on power because now, you know, Maeve has this over him and he had to let Starlight back in, who he knows is, you know, basically against him. So, yes, like he is. Uh, things have not been going great for Homelander. And as we've seen, when he rages uh, from the cabin scene, uh, bad things happen. Let me ask you two questions with that. Uh, first of all, did you catch that uh, Starlight is wearing her more conservative outfit also? I did not that? notice it. I remember, though, the discussion from it uh, from, was that earlier this season or was that last season? Some of those things I didn't I think it was up. last season where she ends up wearing like a much more revealing costume. Right. Not as bad as comic, but um, yeah, I thought that it was interesting that, so clearly, I mean, he does not have the loyalty and they're also, uh, it's going to be interesting to see if they bring, I, so I think that just based off of the fact that they've talked about uh, soldier boy and the issue that they've had with um, Stormfront that they will bring him back and he will be the other you know so the seven will be Homelander Black Noir Maeve uh, the D um, A Train uh, oh crap Homelander Noir Maeve Starlight 
Soldier Boy. Oh, and so I, I and I assume the deep will be in there somewhat, um, just the same way he was this season. Um, but here's my other question for you: Do you think Stormfront is dead? No, I think they confirmed actually in the press conference that she's not dead, and I know that the creator said uh, on a podcast that she is not dead. There was a reason okay. that they purposely left that open ended. So, because th- there are two things about that, I I know they said it in the. In the um, in the uh, on in that press conference, but that didn't, you know, they've also talked about how that there was the lie about translucent not being dead, and there was the lie, you know, they didn't say you know, he didn't die initially. When he died initially, they didn't tell the truth, uh, and I wondered if she might show up at a later date, just because it would be interesting to see Homelander interact with her. Well, I mean, I think if you're going to have this other character that has so much backstory with her, you know, and, and they both, correct me if I'm wrong, but they're both really old, right? Like, uh, in the they, mentioned, they mentioned in the show when they talk about Soldier Boy that he killed Nazis, killed a lot of Nazis during World War II. Um, I'm interested to see if that's actually true. That's one thing in the comic is that the Vought superheroes are always kind of incompetent. Uh, the first superhero in like the Battle of the Bulge give away their position and get like a platoon slaughter. So I wonder if Soldier Boy, you know, actually was the other, and it almost doesn't line up with the timeline because remember they talk about Frederick Vaught defecting in like 44. So Soldier Boy, I mean, the war was over by 45 it'll be interesting to see, you know, how much of him is, it'll just be an interesting thing to see. There's two ways they could bring her back is one through flashbacks, obviously, if it involves somebody that has potentially, you know, been in the same space for, for that long. And then the other thing is I'm assuming they could pump her full of V. We've seen that she has the ability, uh, you know, to take a, a punishment or they could, you know, literally make a Darth Vader. Uh, which could be, you know, interesting where, I mean, she got Anakin. I mean, let's be honest, like that's pretty much what happened. Uh, I mean, it's all I could think about, you know, while she's on the floor. And then ironically, you know, with, with the Congresswoman, I can't help but think that she's, you know, sort of the Palpatine, that she has been, you know, sort of orchestrating everything uh and you know playing all the sides you know she's playing chess on both sides which was just interesting to me that there were some of those star wars parallels uh after i ended up watching the second episode or the last season two episode a second time i'll be interested to see actually if they uh if it ends up being that vod outlives its usefulness and she ends up bringing it down um but yeah i agree with you i think that there's i'm excited for season three Way, I mean, more than I was about season two, I'm actually really pleased, uh, pleasantly surprised. And I'm hoping, you know, that I'm hoping that we get it by, you know, the same time, same, you know, the fall next year. Uh, I hope they won't rush. The good news is they film in Toronto, which, and Canada is doing a pretty good job, knock wood with COVID. So hopefully we can you know everyone Anything not, that's not the u.s has probably got a better chance right now of handling i uh, know actually it's real locked down again so it, it's but yeah my hope is is that they'll be safe you know i'd rather all of the stars make it than get a new season of the show so. absolutely uh well i 
Is there anything else you wanted to touch on? Uh, just the, again, it's worth a rewatch. I, I watched the first season a second time before the second season ended. I, and unfortunately, I was only able to watch the last two episodes a second time before we did the podcast. But I am going to go back and watch them again. I feel like shows like this, especially with all the things that it has going on, uh, not only in just the the story, but actually in, you know, I think kind of what it means in society and, and you know, its take on what's going on in the world, that you will pick up more stuff uh, each time you watch it. And uh, I just am uh, honestly really impressed because I can't remember a show that has walked such a tightrope on so many different things to where it, it you know, has action and it, it, it has really cool special effects. It has superheroes. Uh, it has some of the most gruesome death scenes that you will ever see. It has some of the most dark humor uh, you can ever imagine, but it also has a lot of feel uh, and a lot of heart to it, which is really difficult for a show to do that. I mean, you know, most shows have a niche and they kind of stick to it. And, you know, they just throw 99 mile an hour fastballs, whether it be through the dialogue or the acting or, you know, the, the action scenes. And this show has, you know, in the, in the you know, stay with the baseball analogy, it, it's a pitcher. It's got five really good pitches that can get you out. And they're not afraid to use any of them and mix it up. Yeah, I think. And the for me, when it started, I thought that it was sort of its ceiling was the show like The Walking Dead or Sons mm-hmm. of Anarchy. Which is what it reminded me a lot of the first season. Very gory. Any person could die at any point. You know, the acting was pretty good. But it, but I felt like there was definitely, it was not going to be one of those where like, it, I didn't think that it was going to be on top 10 lists. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but I thought that, and that's not a knock. I mean, there's a niche, but I thought that it was one that was going more for mass appeal then and that's not a knock on because i well there's much longer discussion about sons of anarchy on the walking dead but i thought good for a while yeah the walking dead was too (laughs) uh, but that i felt like the boys wanted to do more and was more interested and so like i think that it's it definitely jumped uh you know, it definitely grew in season two and I'm, I have much higher expectations for it. Now I had much higher expectations for Sons of Anarchy and it, you know, this third season up until the finale wasn't great. And I love the finale of the third season and the fourth season. Just I think so though that with the fact that the creator saying, I mean, he said that before the season started, this was setting up, you know, for season three. And I think you made the, the point that it was almost like a prequel you know, that it, it got us up to the point. Of, so I, I think that as we saw a Breaking Bad and a lot of other great shows, Better Call Saul is a prime example, when you know where you're going and you're confident in that, Harry Potter is, a, you know, one of my favorite book and movie series of all time. Another one where from the beginning, you know, they know where they're going. And I think because of that, and he's shown the talent that he has to tell stories, make tweaks, uh, I, I'm pretty confident this show is, is going to continue to get better, continue to top, you know, tackle issues. And I mean, honestly, if you think about it, there's a lot of story uh, left to go because yes, there's been a lot of people that have killed, but you know, the boys are still intact. Most of the seven is still intact. Uh, and there's a lot of confrontation to come. The one thing that I really did uh, w- that initially there's a, 
you know, when, when I can't remember if it's, I think it's Rainer, the butcher meets with in season one, where he's like, this is what I want, like CIA sanction, the flat iron building. And I was like, oh, that's a cute little shout out. Cause that's the comic is that right. they're out of the flat iron building. And that I, I appreciate it because like this sort of outlaw thing works for a couple of seasons, but there's a point where like, they're criminals. I mean, right. like, that's what Mallory says. It's like, we even got you off for the crime, you know, you committed. <laughs> and so I think that it's, I'm glad that they acknowledge I mean, they were that. being haunted on TV, you know, in season two, like their pictures were up that, you know, these people need to be caught immediately. Yeah. And, and so I'm glad that they're, you know, back to this. Uh, do you think this, this will be the last one and then we can do, uh, then we'll do plugs. Um, do you think that Mallory will be involved next season? as sort of the handler i hope so i think her performance has been really good and uh it was really sad you know like they they sort of got at her story in season one uh but they didn't get into great detail and then when you find out about it in season two and you know i really felt for her when she was telling them to get out you know, that you still have something. And like, I know it seems like, you know, you have this revenge and this, you know, this, you know, score to settle, but at the end of the day, you have your family, you have your health, like just run, like run away, go as far as you can, or you might lose everything. I thought that was one of the more powerful scenes, uh, you know, during the entire season. So I think she's a great actress. She has a great relationship with all the guys. I love how Frenchie calls her mother. Uh, and uh, I, I really do hope that they, you know, do bring her back, even though she's quote unquote retired. And with that, do you have anything you'd like to plug? Uh, do I have anything I want to plug, Sam? Uh, so we're in a podcast. Come on, we'll have the uh, a new episode of the weekly daily fantasy football podcast with myself and Joe Matz. We will record that tomorrow night. Uh, when I tell you that our picks are on fire, dude, our picks are on fire. I won a couple hundred dollars on DraftKings this week. Uh, we gave 28 picks this week. 16 of them uh, were well above uh, what their uh, projected average was and uh, like one of the best values for their price on DraftKings. We had a really good week. It's actually two weeks in a row that we've done that. Uh, both me and Joe spent a lot of time researching not only the matchups, but the players' recent history. So you should check that out. Obviously, I have the Team Turnbuckle podcast with two-thirds of the guys right here, me and Sam. Uh, Ron L is the other one. It is our weekly wrestling podcast where we discuss, uh, you know, just the week of wrestling news pretty quickly. Uh, and then between the four shows of AEW Dynamite, NXT, Raw and SmackDown, we give out superlatives. So you have the match of the week, uh, the promo of the week, heel face of the week. Uh, and we have a lot of fun with that. And that's with Ron L. Tinsley, the third man of our team. And then finally, I am also on a gambling podcast with my man, Alan, a.k.a. Actively Lazy. Right now, we're doing a live stream that is a podcast on Thursday nights, just previewing the entire NFL slate with the spread. But we will get back into golf soon. Uh, Augusta is in exactly one month. But uh, with all the podcasts I have going on right now, uh, we took a little breather from doing twice a week doing the NFL and other stuff, but we will get back into golf once we get into some bigger tournaments. So, uh, and then as always, Team Turnbuckle uh, Facebook group, Team Turnbuckle uh, Twitter page. We'd appreciate it if you join that group or follow that Twitter page. Uh, and then the IB Sports uh, page, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, 
It's a great place to discuss sports. It does have a uh, Patron or <laughs> Patreon. I did it again. Patreon membership for just $5 a month, which is uh, very well worth it. I think once you get into it, you'll love it and you need to support the brand. I am with you. I am a proud all-star member of IBM Sports. Uh, very happy with it. I'm uh, going to plug my Twitter account. It's uh, SHOW, that's H-O-U-G-H. O is an Oscar, 610. I'm also on Instagram, uh, Team Turnbuckle, Team Turnbuckle on Twitter. I love doing that with you and Ronnell. Uh, I also sort of plugging a couple of friends' work in terms of connecting wrestling and Stormfront's All Right stuff. Uh, for wrestling, Bill Hanstock, who is Sundown Motel on Twitter, just had a book that came out. I actually just picked it up. I went on a nice little walk before we did this. Uh, it's called We Promised You a Great Main Event. Uh, it's an unauthorized history of the WWE. I think that's the name of it. Um, the uh, Also, Talia Laban, who is an amazingly talented writer, uh, tends to cover the far-right neo-fascist movements, has a book cut that came out today called Culture Warlords. Uh, I would definitely recommend both of those. Uh, and I am looking forward to doing Team Turnbuckle. Uh, Keith, I appreciate you taking the time to do this with me. Uh, oh, man, and dude. Love nerding out, Sam. And this was a great I, show. We'll do The Mandalorian, too, uh, when, when that season drops this, this year. Uh, one other thing real quick is RC did a televangelist podcast on Cobra Kai. I was so disappointed I did not get to do that with him. Uh, it's actually one of the more fun shows that have, uh, I've watched in the last couple of months. And I love how they flipped the premise on his head. He talked about uh, it. And then obviously my man Alan has a college football uh, podcast on Saturday. And then they do a live stream in the Ivy group. That's Alan and RC where they break down more of the X's and O's of the upcoming slate of NFL games. It's a must watch. I do it every Sunday when I'm getting ready to watch NFL games or watch it. Yeah, I've watched it a couple of weeks. Uh, the one downside to being on the West Coast is that if I stay up, right. yeah, is that like it's great to get up at like nine thirty and be like, "Hey, games are on." Uh, but yeah, it's it's but it's great. I definitely recommend it. They definitely know their stuff. Um, just one last shout out about the Ivy Network, uh, especially the sports network, is that RC's whole mission is to create a sports group that destroys uh, narrative and is about telling, you know, fact-based. And, you know, I, I've been arguing about LeBron being better than Kobe and, you know, really going after narratives. And if you come in with, you know, these very weak sauce media narratives, you will, you know, you're going to come out a much smarter, more uh, informed sports fan. I love it for that reason. Um, if you don't, I will fire and mute your ass. See, thank you. <laughs> Um, but yeah, Keith, thank you again. Uh, I hope everybody enjoyed this and have a good week. Thanks, Sam. There you are.